welcome to another... The official podcast of The Leaky Cauldron. The Leaky Cauldron. The Leaky Cauldron. Do you hear that, Ern? The Leaky Cauldron. Just go. You're wasting time. Welcome to Pottercast, the official podcast of The Leaky Cauldron, your number one source for theories, news and discussion, and interviews from the books and the films like me, Rupert Grint. I play Ron Weasley in the Harry Potter films. And now your host, Melissa, John and Sue. Okay, it is the middle of October, it's almost pumpkin time, but first it is time for Pottercast number 121. Aw, I want pumpkins Pottercast. I do want pumpkins too. Welcome, I'm Melissa, I'm here with John and Sue. As usual, we're here for another week of Harry Potter stuff. Before we do anything, we have to hear from our lovely friends at The Borders. Today's Pottercast is brought to you by Borders. Haven't read Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows yet? Don't worry, Borders is here to help. Pick up your copy of this summer's smash hit soon. You won't be able to hide from those spoilers forever. You can count on Borders to have it in stock and ready to take home tonight, along with the audiobook version. Even if you've read the book, the Harry Potter fun doesn't have to end yet. Visit BordersMedia.com or click on the Borders banner at the top of the podcast page to find out more. Hey, guys. Ooh, hey. It's October. What's that mean? Now. If you haven't read Harry Ooh. Potter and the Deathly Hallows by now. Yeah. And you managed Just to saying. download a podcast about Harry Potter. Just you are as backwards as a very backwards person. <laughs> Anyway, Pottercast this week features, we got, oh god, it's such a packed show, we gotta keep this real, real short up here, guys. We yes. have the Canon Conundrums is back. It's we were back. never taking it away. We just had some recording Yay. issues. Uh, we have a Phoenix Files, we have a Bit by Bit, we have a Scribby Five. It's just a wild, giant show, so we gotta go right into the news, Sue. What's going on? Oh, do, 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 do. Filming has now begun in Scotland for the Harry Potter and the Half-Life Prince film. Meaning there's Hagrid Hot? Well, well, we don't know, but no, they've started on the the Hogwarts Express, though. Okay, the cool. Train. I read that so article too. I actually yeah, read news nice. this time. Good. This is always good. <laughs> but you know what's interesting? That not only did they film scenes at the Hogwarts Express, but they've been filming at um, I can't. I'm not even trying to say lock, this right? Locks. But yeah, lake, lock, basically. Lock. It's pretty. Lock cake. I'm sorry, people of Scotland. I, yeah, I apologize, I, but I don't know how to say. They don't the have name. the internet out there yet. Um, but it said an airborne <laughs> film unit. And cameramen aboard a fish farm boat have been shooting computer-enhanced sequences above and on the lock. I'm curious mm-hmm. to how they're calling them computer-enhanced sequences when, unless see, some technology is eluding me, they're out on the day shooting with a camera and they bring all of their computers with them. Yeah, it sounds like they're shooting things that will eventually be computer-enhanced. <laughs> yeah. It's such a funny right. thing to add into you know? the thing. Everything in the darn movie is computer-enhanced. One, there's not a single frame that's not computer enhanced. Oh, whatever. But it was just, it, you know, but so I, I don't know if it's for the scenes for the cave or what, but it's just nice to know that it's actually, that, those highlands of Scotland are just absolutely gorgeous Ugh. and they're in the in the same area and they're keeping the continuity and it's just beautiful and you, I can't wait to see it. Do you know what I can't wait for uh, Six to come out? Because then we're going to get fan films to Michael Jackson's Thriller. Oh God! The fairy. <laughs> I can't wait. I, can't, I want to see that fan film. Just keep it in the back of your head for next year, guys. What did, what did he call it? the Army of the Dead or something? Or Army of the Dead. Yeah. Oh my God! Army of the Dead, Dead baby. You know Are they going to be totally green and they're going to run through all the orcs and it's going to be like, why didn't you yes, get here an hour earlier? We all would not have died. Well, if if Dumbledore shows up with a sword of of Gryffindor, then we know that we're in Peter Jackson's been in the, the area. Dumbledore and his giant wooden flashlight. That's so powerful. 
<laughs> that he borrowed from Moody. Bam! Yeah, more or less. That he bangs on the floor and all the inferior die. Here comes okay. the Lord of the Ring fans email. <laughs> all right, guys. We have to keep going through this. I'm sorry to... Okay. Oh, okay. So congratulations are in order to Miss J.K. Rowling for her... She's the new recipient of a special um, recognition award from the Pride of Britain Awards. And Miss Emma Watson presented them to... That's an award to Joe and for all of Joe's charity works. And that video was too dang Joe, cute. It is. It was. Joe was. I almost had a tear in my manly eyes. You know, wasn't it sweet though? I mean, yeah. here's this girl that you know that one of the Pride of Britain Award recipients had gone up there, and then you know here comes Joe, and, and Emma was, and Joe was just beside her. I think she was genuinely moved mm-hmm. by the, the stories of these people. It was just. I don't know, guys. Did, did you see her hair? Who's Joe? No, I'm kidding. Everybody's all Who's like, hair? Emma's hair is so blonde. Oh, my God. Hermione doesn't <laughs> need to have that blonde hair. Yeah, oh, I Emma know. doesn't Come begin guys, to film until December, she's guys. Emma. So just chill but, out. You know, either way, I have to say, though, without being hopefully tabloidy about it, Emma's clothing choices are so wonderful right now. Yes. She not only this this beautiful dress that she wore, but at the last award show we saw her, she was in like this very kind of chic thing with these nice heels. Like she's turning into a real fashion plate. Which is which is it's it's nice. It's nice to see them grow up and look nice, and you know. Surely yes. she can afford uh, it. You know, and uh, yeah. Well, the irony there is that she probably gets it for free. That too. She's a Chanel model now, isn't she? I think so. Yes, and I'm sure she has advisors from there. But this outfit that she wore to the Pride of Britain Awards wasn't a Chanel outfit, but it was a beautiful gown. Yes. They were both in black. Joe, look, I thought equally chic mm-hmm. and very beautiful. And Dan Radcliffe did. was going to be a clothing model, but he turned him down. All right, so there's some news about Joe and the family additions, huh? I'm trying. I'm just trying to get us yes. right through this, guys. I know she has a new fe- member of the family. Everyone, the puppy dog. Do a puppy know, dog. Do you know who else has a greyhound? Yes, you know it's not just a, a regular puppy dog. It's one, one from the Greyhound Rescue. Somebody in our Leaky family has a greyhound. Uh, Santa's little helper. Friend, our friend Lisa Q. Lisa Q. 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 Yes. From Acu. I remember that great. That was a greyhound. Arrow. That was a greyhound. Arrow. Yeah. Yeah. They're cool dogs. He's in our podcast video blog on podcast. Was Arrow in there? Is she making an appearance? Yes. In there. Yes. Sweet. Blog number seven. I watch our blogs. Um, let's get right through it. We've only got a couple minutes left. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is a really a, a kind of a thing, a cool thing that Warner Brothers is doing, although, you know, when the Order of the Phoenix DVD comes out, this is important, that when you buy the DVD, it's going to come down with, with two um, versions of the film that are available for download, so you can put them on your computer and put one like on for your portable media player, your iPod or whatever. That is crazy. That's I such a big deal. That. People it's are buzzing deal. about that in the tech community, even who aren't Harry Potter fans. That's a uh, big move for a, a movie as big as Harry Potter. To, I think they're the first studio yeah, to do they it. Are. And I just, yeah. you know, and considering that there's the month discrepancy between, or does it Time between the UK gets it a month before we do. Um, yeah, I wonder if yeah, this is going to I still that guarantee <laughs> that's going to change because Argentina is getting it in October. Like it's it's going to change. You know? Yeah, I I talk about so. a hundred typos. Know, care, but what? There must have been a hundred typos that caused this debacle. It's not even that. It's not even about the US has to get it first. It's not about that. You're talking about the biggest market for these movies in the world. All that's going to happen exactly. by by demand by leaving that separate is that that's going to hit the 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 digital networks much sooner and cut right yep. into sales because people are going to be downloading it. Yep. You know, they should get it to the U.S. before anywhere else. I think. Just want to make one more one last bit of news, which is funny, and I want to hear John McChicken's reaction to the Ron Weasley talking oh God. action figure. How perfect! <laughs> what does he say? Oh, why can't we have these for every movie? <laughs> He says 
god! <laughs> he's like, I think we're going to start some kind of wizard army. And then he's like, um, um, how, the, the, the bit about when, like, uh, I let her win, yeah, it's only polite, and whatever it was, and uh, big families, and I'm afraid of spiders, and we like sweets. I like a lot I mean- of sweets, and <laughs> sort of a. Uh, no, I love me some rope. He didn't say your hands all sweaty. I can't. Your hands all sweaty. I can't. <laughs> anyway, but I mean, and 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 now we got a new a Hermione Granger one. She only says four. Ron says six things, but the Hermione figure only says. But I mean, it's just so uh, these, the quotes that they chose for her are even worse. And I was just like, you know, hey. oh, it's like she. Is he really out there? We've got to be able to defend ourselves. And if Umbridge refuses to teach us how, we need someone who will. That's all one quote? That's one quote. Not you, Harry. Uh, Thanks, John. All right. All right. No, we have have one more bit of news uh, this week, which is a bit of our own. And look, we're actually going to sort of make time. Our own... Our own news is that we have just uh, started early this year. For the first time ever, we're like on a good time schedule. Um, our annual Get a Clue charity drive is now open. Yeah. We actually closed last oh. year's, which this year's, which was the yes. Get a Clue around Book 7, which raised close to $4,000 for Book It International, which we're very excited about. Yes. Um, Bravo. This year, we asked the Wizard Rock bands to donate a song each. 14 bands created a whole new song for us each. They donated it to Leaky. Frack illustrated the, the work. We had a, a professional sound mixer mix the CD, and it is being produced as Jingle Spells, a Wizard Rock compilation holiday CD. Um, it's now available for pre-order. You can only get it through December 10th. You can only order it through December 10th because we're making a limited amount, and yes. we can't be shipping these out forever. I'm literally going to have 30 boxes of CDs in my apartment for a while. <laughs> and if we so, don't sell them, we're going to burn the rest. No, a big but bonfire. No, 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 but that's really it's fifteen dollars, which which includes shipping. If you're in the U.S., it's a little extra for international. And I'm telling you, it is some of the best oh, God. Christmas music, not just Wizard Rock music. Some of the best Christmas music that I've ever had on my iPod. And this is no, this is no smoke being blown here, fellas and ladies. This is this is from somebody who is is not as obsessed as some of the fans out there. Of the Wizard Rock, I I, I swear mm-hmm. <laughs> this, is, this is the most Wizard Rock I've ever listened to, ever. I I mean I love Christmas. I love Christmas songs. So if there's anybody out there who loves Christmas songs and has even a passing interest in Harry Potter, this is a CD for them this Christmas because it it, was, it yeah. won me over after like two songs. So. Right, and you can be able to hear uh, previews of this, right, Melissa? Yes, we'll have previews. We have previews up on there's a, there'll be a link at the top of podcast.com where you can go to our order page, which has our previews. There's a 30 second preview of every song. We'll be playing previews in podcast yes. from now until eternity, and um, <laughs> from, it's really yeah. it's just so much. There's funny songs, there's warm Christmassy songs, there's slow mm-hmm. songs, there's fast songs, there's the Whomping Willow song will kill you with laughter. Yes, it's it's really it's a it's. I'm just completely stunned by what these amazing people donated for this album. Yeah. And if all goes well, we're going to raise huge amounts of money thanks to it. So, um, yeah. Awesome. Really exciting. I'll make for a very happy book aid. And a lot of good yes. Christmas gifts. Anybody you know who likes Harry Potter, dude, it's the best gift. And um, it's cheap. 15 including shipping. That's, that's really that's cheap for an album. Well, they don't have to take our words for it. We're going to be playing clips here at the end of this episode and... Like you mm-hmm. said, you can listen to 30-second clips already now on the Wizardopedia and soon to be on Leaky and other places, and it will be awesome. Yay! Rocks. All right, well, let's go do the rest of the show, please, now. 
All right, let's kick it over to the bit by bit. Hey guys, Kimmy Blair here. This week, we are going to listen as Ashley, known as Chocolate is Not for Breakfast, Owen, known as Nimbus XL, Sarah, known as Stamps Gal, Libby, and Julie, known as Amina, are going to discuss the next bit of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Now let's listen to their fan thoughts as they talk about the departure of the Dursleys as they head off to live with wizards, possibly never seeing Harry again. The whole Dudley liking Harry in the end, I thought that was really contrived. I thought that it was like, okay, where did this even come from? It was done well. I just don't know if the idea was something that I would necessarily agree was in his character. I think that, you know, it was it was funny, but I don't know. The whole leaving tea out for Harry was a little much. <laughs> Chapter 3 was a welcome bit of humor and hope. Here, the references of past events, such as the Weasleys collecting Harry for the World Cup trip and Hagrid's chase to bring Harry to Hogwarts, was much better handled. They were part of a conversation that was actually going somewhere. The admittance of Dudley that he appreciated what Harry did for him two years ago was a nice touch and installed a bit of hope for me that this book wasn't going to be all doom and gloom. Harry's last meeting with the Dursleys did not go the way I expected at all. I was convinced that Petunia would have some mind-blowing confession to make to Harry, or that in the very least she would have an important piece of information to pass on to him. I was shocked that the closest he came to an emotional connection with any Dursley was with Dudley. The humor in this chapter is its great, because when Dudley is saying goodbye to Harry, he's being so undersley-ish. And I think that is actually a really important turning point, especially for Harry, because he sees that after what had happened to Dudley, he got a new sense of begrudging respect for Harry. My favorite part of chapter three was after the Dursleys have left and Harry's going around looking at everything that were bad memories to him and just almost being sarcastic when he's talking to Hedwig about them, like the cupboard under the stairs or being able to sneak upstairs whenever the Dursleys finally left. And we are back with Bit by Bit. It's Melissa, Sue, and John, and we're here with a special, our special fan guest. Here we have Andrew. Hello. Hello. Hi. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So we're going to be going through Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, and this week we're talking about the Dursleys departing. All those Dursleys. That's crazy. Well, first, what we do is figure out who you are in three questions. Yes, right. yes. We ask you who your favorite character is, what your favorite moment from any of the books are, and I think it was what your favorite book in general is. Okay, well, uh, favorite character without reservation, Neville, absolutely. I, I think I knew as far back as book four when we started to find out about his past that you know, next to Perry, he'd probably have the best overall character yeah. arc. So you, you can probably guess what my favorite scene is. Uh, the sword? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, not just that he killed the snake, but yeah. with, you know, with all the parallels that should have been parallels to Harry and the Chosen One, it, Neville's the one who gets to have the King Arthur moment and pull the sword from the hat. That that was just immensely satisfying to me. And your favorite book, I'm guessing, then, would be what? It's a toss-up. I mean, if I go on just sections, I think the first and final quarters of Deathly Hallows are you know, absolutely my favorite in the series. Uh-huh. I think once I make my peace with that long middle section and the fact that the trio may count it, they're, they're in those tents for, for nine months. Yeah. I, I think once I make my peace with that, Deathly Hallows will be my favorite. Until then, I'll, pro- I'll probably have to go with 
Order of the Phoenix. It has probably my favorite character moments nice. in the series. So We'll argue with you on the nine months. A lot of people are coming around to those nine months. Well, let's see. They they leave the ministry. The ministry attack is like the very it's, it's the beginning of September, and then isn't the incident at the Mount Malfoy mansion over Easter? Yeah, and then no. Takes, then it takes a couple because it says like Drake goes home for Easter holidays. So it's like up on, like through March. So you have to September to seven months. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that's a long time to live in this camp. It's still a long time. I think I think yeah. Stephen King brought it up in his in that great postmortem he did for Entertainment Weekly. I think he mentioned how it sort of felt like Joe was running the clock out to make it fit yeah. the format of the rest of the series. So, but mm-hmm. the over overall, that's probably the biggest and most insignificant quibble I have with the final book. That's cool. This bit by bit is about the Dursleys. Yeah. Saying farewell to old Dudley, which actually turned out to be quite a surprise. I thought this this chapter actually really surprised me, I have to say. It did catch me off guard, too. A little bit. I mean, what, what did you think was originally going to happen to the Dursleys? What did you think? What role did you think they'd play? I, I always had the one theory about Petunia, that she was going to haul Harry up to the attic and like show him something from his mom that she'd been holding on to. And she'd been waiting and waiting and putting off to give him like something interesting or meaningful that they would depart upon Harry before he left. And I was very mm-hmm. surprised just to see, you know, that short chat and waving him out the door and that was mm-hmm. it, the whole rest of the book. I mean, I sort of thought, that, I, I sort of knew that there was going to be an attack on Privet Drive when Harry turned 17, but I thought the Dursleys would be right in the thick of the action. I instead, mm-hmm. instead, it, instead we got a scene that was you know, almost entirely character-driven. If anything, it kind of reinforced, as Widows said earlier, that Dudley may be okay, but there's really no hope. There's no hope at all for, for Vernon and Petunia. Yeah. Vernon spends the scene thinking Harry's trying to get them out so he can get the house. That's all he can think of. And yeah, I know. He's like, are you, you lost your mind? And Vernon's rambling on about the <laughs> prices of housing and stuff. It's like, you know, we're in the middle of a war and he's worrying about house prices. It's but it must be so weird for, them, for Harry to come and say, we're in the middle of a war, your life is in danger, all this stuff is happening. And to them, all they know is that it's like sort of damp and chilly out, you know? Exactly. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's a hard thing to swallow as a muggle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like for anybody to be told that, oh, all of us over here are in wartime, and you're just chilling there with your biggest worry is the worry for your safety is, is is getting hit by a car in front of your house. There's nothing scary to you. You don't know what's going on. And especially for Uncle Vernon. Here's a man who has spent the entire series in denial and hatred and loathing of Harry and his lot, as they keep saying. And yet here we are. The irony of it is that lot that he so despises is actually going to save his sorry you know, Tush. And oh, I just God, find yeah. that just, you know, very uh, amusing. I don't know. Just... Who was it that came? Do you remember their names? It was Delius Diggle and somebody. Hestia Jones. Hestia Jones. Mm-hmm. And where have we seen her before? Uh, she was on the advance guard when she came with the Order of the Phoenix. They described her as a pink-cheeked witch or something. I thought, I don't know. Yeah, she wasn't named in the advance guard. But oh, okay. Yeah. I just remember hearing her name before as being part of the Phoenix, and I, I thought she had done something before, but oh, maybe not. 
For some reason, I just was kind of hopeful she was a Hufflepuff, but I don't know. <laughs> Always hoping, you know. Everybody who's never been named or given a house is a Hufflepuff by default until proven otherwise. <laughs> the thing I love about this chapter is that Vernon is babbling on and babbling on and babbling on, and then all of a sudden, Dudley, yes. of all people, yes. speaks up and says, uh, I'm going with the wizards. See you later. You know, know, Dudley, of all people, starts to make sense. Yeah. Dudley, who walks around with his hands on his butt because he doesn't want another pigtail every time he sees a <laughs> wizard, suddenly he's like, yeah, whatever, I'll go with him. Yeah. And it's cool because, as like, as Harry discovered, as he, as he thought about it, he hadn't really interacted with his cousin at all since that big ordeal at uh, or the beginning of Phoenix. He never said anything in Half-Blood Prince. He just yeah. sat there on the couch. And that's a long time to ponder something as intense as that ordeal was to them. I think it's quite believable that he would mm-hmm. uh, figure it out. See, I was sort of left wondering, going into the final book, whether there would ever be any kind of, not reconciliation, but whether the Dursleys would ever you know, un- understand what they had put Harry through. And I think the closest we come to it is that great moment where Harry tells them all the possibilities of what would happen if they were captured, sure. and how Voldemort would torture them, and basically hope that Harry would come to rescue them. And there's that moment where Joe says that Harry and Vernon looked at each other and they were both wondering the same thing. Yeah. And she never says what that is, but Vernon made her even would bother after the way he treated him. Yeah, totally. Whether or not he would actually say, of course he would. He's Harry. Yeah. He'd save a stranger. No, I, I agree that he would, but yeah. that moment for Vernon was... Poor Vernon. What do you guys think? I love Harry when he's up against the Dursleys because he gets uh, he gets that black humor, that Harry, mm-hmm. you know, that dark, sarcastic humor that's so different from Ron, and it's yeah. so and it makes him such a different person. Like I love when um, Dudley's asking, "Well, why isn't Harry coming?" And Vernon just sort of sputters, "Well, he doesn't want you, don't you?" And Harry goes, "Not in the slightest." You know, it's like <laughs> yeah, it's like well, yeah, he probably would rather go hang out with the Dursleys than than be running around at the Voldemort's Horcrux here. But the way he right. says, you know, not in the slightest, it's just awesome. Yeah. I just, Classic Harry. It's like the Big D conversation from from book five was like the best Harry yeah. ever. It was. So having read through this book more than once now, for everybody but me apparently, do you feel good about how they left things with the Dursleys or how Joe left things? No. I think they were fully resolved as characters and the role they had in Harry's life. Yeah, I kept I kept waiting to see them again, and it never. You know, eventually I realized that never. You know, it never happened, and the last time we would, it dawned on me, the last image we would see of them is them driving down, her to drive in the car, and disappearing, which, it took me a while to, to make the connection, but that's also the exact same ending for the Wormwood family and Matilda, whom the Grizzlies are so often compared to. The Roald book, the All right, Roald yeah. Matilda. Yeah. That, um, I mean, you're right when it started, when the Harry Potter books started to become a really big thing. They started talking about all of Rowling's influences. And I kept hearing everywhere that the Dursleys were very much in the line of the Wormwood family, the, the cruel, you know, abusive relatives. Yeah. And, and the final, you know, this, these are the final lines of the book. It's, um, Neither of them said a word as they stood there watching the big black car tearing around the corner at the end of the road and disappearing forever into the distance as, yeah, as they move on to greener pastures. So 
I don't know if that was intentional that or not. Pretty on, similar on Joe's part, but mm, food for thought. Well, I had such a, a problem with, and I know we're kind of skipping Dudley and his peace offering of the teacup, but um, I was really disappointed in Petunia in the sense of yeah. how the, the chapter ended. And, it, and it, this is what it, it what upset. And I'm leaping ahead because at the end of the book, we understand that she had been rejected. That she had been rejected. She wanted to go to Hogwarts and stuff. And yet here she had spent the entire series, the whole of Harry's life, rejecting this child. In, in, in many ways, she had. And I know this will be a source of controversy for me to say this, but I just, I thought that she would have had some sort of, I had been hoping, if, maybe it was, maybe it's me, maybe, but I have been hoping for some sort of compassion or just a little bit moment more than her pausing and hesitating as she was about to go out the door. And I, I just felt that there was more opportunity that should have been said. Yeah. I understand why Joe didn't want to, but I cannot tell you. It's just, maybe as a human being, I was just so disappointed. Well, you want to expect better for people. Yeah. Everybody yeah, had high hopes for this woman, that she would, you know, come around at least to say something to this kid. I mean, he was pretty much her her mom figure his whole life, yeah. as crappy mm-hmm. a job as she did. And this was her last chance to impart anything on him, any feeling, any you know regret or apology or anything and she just couldn't bring herself to do it she was not that strong of a character i understand it's her character not to, to give that she has been a person that she has given only to dudley and not to harry but i just i don't know it just says something sort of great about humanity and life you know, you don't always get any ending yeah get that's true such an extensive neat ending with, with dumbledore he gets neat endings with dumbledore all over, all over the place not always like that. Yeah. People, people aren't aren't that strong. They don't say something. Also, narratively, probably would have given away too much. Yeah, I would have. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, I would have. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. I know we had just remember beforehand, and I'm sure Andrew, you probably the way all the speculation about what Petunia, you totally. know, what was his last, and I wanted mm. to know, and oh my goodness, and all the theories we had yeah. about, you know, something was going to be revealed at the Dursley house, and then. I don't know. I never thought the thing that would be revealed about Petunia was going to be anything too major. I thought, what I thought is I thought we'd find out that she actually did care about Harry, some small part of her, but then... Yeah. she does. I thought it was, her big secret was going to be that she had the Elder Wand all along. Yeah. <laughs> she yeah. was waiting to give it to Harry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thought, the thought did cross my mind. I... Yeah. Can, can we talk we about can the teacup? Before, uh, real well, quick, one, one second. Well, the goodbye we... between Harry and, and Dudley. Okay, yeah, let's talk about that. Just real quick, what do you think? The goodbye? The, well, yeah, I don't know. I like it. I like the, I like the, the handshake. I mean, I thought it was nice. I think we said that, that's what I think the you know, the purpose of the scene was, that to show that, unfortunately, while Vernon and Petunia could never you know, change, they could never accept Harry he at least made his impact in no, in no small way on, on Dudley. And if he's ever able to amount to anything for, for the rest of his life, it'll be you know, because of Harry. There's hope in the children. <laughs> There's <laughs> always hope, the John. Hope is never yeah. lost. Well, that is all the time we have for the bit by bit because the last few bit by bits ran yeah. long because we didn't have a kind of conundrums <laughs> or conclusions. Now we do as we're bringing back trying to regulate these Things. We lost Melly. We shall say goodbye, Sans Melissa, and find yes. her. <laughs> we'll have her back <laughs> in a few minutes. <laughs> we will continue after we hear 
from some good words from the Scribby Gals. Welcome to Scribby 5, the five-minute podcast of the Leaky Cauldron's premier essay project, Scribulus. I am Erin, or Kathios. Hey, everyone, and I'm Nina, or Severine Snape. Hi, I'm Linda, known as Mosaic. Today, we are, believe it or not, talking about Snape. Yay! Well, of course you're <laughs> thrilled about that, Nina. I mean, I hate to be critical of all your Scribby 5 work since I'm kind of new around here, but being a huge Pottercast fan, I must say I've observed a disproportionately large number of Scribby 5 issues have been about the greasy git. Aww. Erin, maybe you should consider a new topic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Linda, I know what you're saying. And of course, with Nina here, people are prone to assume that we talk about, that we're going to talk about him Mm -hmm. just because of her um, unhealthy (laughs) obsession with the guy. Oh, come on, Aaron. The therapy <laughs> sessions have been doing wonders for me, I have to say. <laughs> well, that's good. But actually, I was taking the time to look through all our essays today, and I couldn't believe how many we have and how amazing they are. Mm. We will be working harder than a one-armed house elf to get them all converted over to our new system over the next couple of weeks. So you listeners can read them again, too. I mean, we actually have 158 published essays. 162, if you count the ones that are coming up in issue 19. Yes. I know, and all complete with thorough research, citations, bibliographies. I found that very impressive when reading your site before I became staff. I mean, most online essays don't even bother with references. True. But my point for bringing this up is that I did some quick statistics, and it turns out that 19 of these essays are about Snape, and this doesn't include the ones in which he features as a minor player or the ones that were designed to be indirectly persuasive regarding an issue that was related to him. Anyway, that's one-eighth of our essays. And we received many more (laughs) on him that were not accepted. So basically, Nina, you can relax a bit. You are not the only person out there completely obsessed with him. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> so what you're saying, Aaron, is that you're obsessed too? Um, well, uh, though that isn't what I meant, uh, yeah, I guess so. <clears throat> but seriously, to write a really exciting essay on something, you sort of have to be a bit preoccupied with the topic. I mean, scrupulous essays do take time and commitment. There is the research, the writing, the proofing, the editing, the bibliography. It's fulfilling, but still, it isn't something to embark on lightly. A great essay usually means obsession with the topic. Oh, yes, how true, how true. (laughs) Oh, give me a break. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, today, I looked through our essays and came up with (laughs) three essays that brought up an issue that I would really like to understand, but which Joe Rowling did not... (gasps) answer in Deathly Hallows. And are they all, coincidentally, about Snape? Why, yes. And I repeat, yay! (laughs) (laughs) So first off is Madam Pint's Is She Really Eileen Prince by Pam2002, and it's in issue 14. Yeah, we did a previous Scribby 5 on this essay, um, but just to give a quick recap, um, Pam wrote a very compelling essay that linked Irma Pins to Severus Snape with the assertion that she was his mother. Yes. So Deathly Hallows comes out and no, no Madam Pins. In fact, she wasn't even mentioned in the Battle of Hogwarts at all. Was she hiding in her library restricted section, perhaps? <laughs> 
That's possible. So wait, are we left to wonder if the I'm a prince anagram is simply a coincidence? And the chapter placement that sets Madame Pince um, mirroring Snape's behavior in consecutive chapters of Order of the Phoenix? Yeah, too. Uh, yeah, we are. Indeed. Yeah. Joe, if you are listening, I really want to know, is Irma Pence related to Eileen Prince? Yeah, please. Yeah, Joe, we really want to know. Tell us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next essay is Keep Your Mouth Shut and Your Mind Closed by... Me! <laughs> Great essay, Nina. That was in issue six, by the way. I really think you have some interesting observations and criticisms of the Acclumency subplot in Order of the Phoenix. Oh, Aaron, I haven't blushed so much since John Noe told me he liked my new earmuffs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've read that essay. I remember you point out, and I would agree with you, um, that you would like to believe that Snape was way too smart to leave his most secret memories in a pensive alone in a room with a notoriously overly curious student. Yeah, I mean, it's just plain dumb. I mean, he should have known not to put them in the pensive right in front of Harry and then leave the room not once but twice. I mean, exactly. <laughs> unless he wanted Harry to see them. Right, Nina, and that's the point. So, Joe, if you're listening, we really want to know, was Snape intentionally plotting to reveal things about his past to Harry? I mean, it is sort of possible that Snape wanted Harry to see his dad um, at his worst, but even then it doesn't quite make sense. Yeah, I agree. I know. Okay, so that brings us to our final essay. It is Severus Snape Beyond the Grassy Knoll by CBM, and it's in issue 18. Oh, Erin, I know you love that essay, but it was as wrong as your draconian prince one was. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> Well, I heard someone say you guys suggested he name it Severus Snape Beyond the Greasy Knoll. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> that was a clever joke made by Hedwiger Seven. But you know, Clark, the author, worked on it so hard. I mean, he had a really good case there. He found a huge time gap of nearly eight hours between when Harry told Snape about Sirius being at the Ministry in Order of the Phoenix and when the Order actually arrived to help. Yeah, but I think it's very unlikely that Joe would have put in as much time as the author did studying the timeline. I mean, I just don't see her on the Naval Observatory website checking the time of sunset or analyzing the speed of a, of a flying Thestral. I mean, she herself has said that she's not that good in math. I know, Nina, that is true. But she lives in Scotland, and she wouldn't have to look up the exact time of sunset to know that in summer it's around 10 p.m., and she takes the train to London, so she'd know it's a far trip. I mean, I think she would need, wouldn't need to go to such detailed measures to figure out that it was a really long time gap for Dumbledore to refer to as at once. So, okay, what are you suggesting, Erin? Is it just a plot flaw or what? Well, sadly, I do have another theory, and I know Clark is inclined to agree with it. I mean, let us say that Dumbledore did know with fair certainty that Harry could not be killed by Lord Voldemort. The biggest thing that needed to happen in Order of the Phoenix was for the wizard world to find out Lord Voldemort had returned. Oh. So it is possible that Dumbledore actually wanted it to go down, that for Harry to end up at the Ministry, in order to reveal Lord Voldemort to oh. the world. Oh, I see. Ooh, well, 
I think that theory is a bit out there, Erin, but it's a good one. <laughs> yeah, well, I do have a tendency to get into the really crazy theories, don't I? <laughs> yes, you do. So, Joe, if you are listening, we want to know why there was such a long time gap between Harry going to Snape for help and Snape reporting this to the Order. All right, so if you're listening, Joe, please, please answer our questions. Well, that's it for everyone this week, and we'll see you all next week. <laughs> yes. All right. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. Good afternoon. Tut-tut! That won't do, now will it? I should like you, please, to reply, Good afternoon, Professor Umbridge. One more time, please. Good afternoon, class. And we're back with Phoenix Files. Um, I'm guest host Andrew, here with the Pottercast Trio, and this week we will be talking about Umbridge's first... That defense against the dark arts class and the subsequent detention with Harry. Woohoo! Not too bad. Thank you. <laughs> Woohooed! All right, so Umbridge, anyway. we have her class. Yeah, I, I'm so happy to be on, on the show this week to talk about this scene because, I mean, this may be an odd choice, but I think this is probably my favorite sequence in the entire series thus far. And, oh, why would that be? Well, I mean, well, gosh, I mean, where do we begin to talk about? Imelda Staunton in, in this film. She's she just... Kicked butt. She's just so fantastic. What she brought to the character... I mean, I, I never thought... After reading the book, I never thought in a million years I'd feel... Well, not not sympathy for Umbridge, but she brought so many different shadings to the character that you wouldn't have thought possible. I mean, she really emphasized the fear of the character and, like, her, you know, her, her insecurity mm-hmm. and the sadism as we saw in the detention scene. And she just, I mean, it was a, she, she nailed it. She totally nailed it. No, it's interesting. She said, she said something similar. She said that she was expecting it to be easy, you know, villain, whatever kind of thing. And that when she started doing it, she realized what a character she really was. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you think she was one of the gang who actually read the book? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I think so. Has she been quoted as saying as much? Because yeah. it was yes, pretty... It seemed to be coming through pretty well. Yeah, she's read the books, and that's the difference. That's the difference. <laughs> well, she gets I mean, the nuance and the levels, and, and, and it's, it's also credit to her great acting skills. She's a very accomplished actress, and she can play a variety of parts. But what, she, what, it, what got me was concerned about her voice and her little, hey, oh, that laugh. <laughs> just, it's like nails on a blackboard or whatever. You know, you just... Uh, it's so perfect and yet so heinous and just frightful at the same time. And, and she, I just thought she was absolutely perfect. It just, I, I love when, um, when Harry starts acting up in class in the book, it mentions that her smile falters, that she seems to, like, her composure seems to crack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And at that, see at, that, at that instantly at, mm-hmm. in this scene. It's just amazing, you know? Mm-hmm. At that moment, I think it's the moment right after she, she breaks and she screams enough and it cuts to that close-up and you can just see, like, the the fear in, in her eyes when she like, yeah, looks yeah. at the class as to whether they, they're believing Harry. Oh, Umbridge... Just the, the loss of order is what, what she can't stand. She is one of the trickiest characters to me, to this day, to figure out I- exactly how much she was cooperating with who. Whether or not... I mean, mm-hmm. we don't ever see her ranked with the Death Eaters, but... She gets yes. a hold of so much. I mean, she is wearing the dang locket. 
she gets the eye. Mad-Eye's eye. Yeah. She just... She just does whatever is going to be best for her at that moment. It's it, her life is better by going along with things, and it's in line with her beliefs. So you know she is definitely anti half breed, anti anti muggles, anti muggle born. That's that's her up and down. Yeah, but you so know it just, goes with her belief system. But she's not like she's not going to walk up and murder somebody. You know she's saying dementors after Harry with the knowledge fully right. expecting them to kill him. Exactly. She sends other people to do it. She won't do it. It was right. interesting. That- it was interesting they cut that bit of information from the movie. I was a bit surprised they didn't say that she was the one who had sent the yeah. mentors in the film. Like, oh, I guess Voldemort did it, huh? Sure. Yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, it, I mean, I like it was implied in the, at the Wizengamot that someone had sent them, but it just, just was never revealed bluntly that it was her. I like mm-hmm. her looking to her left and right when they say that during the trial. It was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh. I mean, we, I mean, we know better, but a lot of the people who were complaining that... I mean, people who don't know the books who were complaining that the movie kind of lacked cohesiveness, that, that would have... That's not uh, actually my favorite part of the book, part of the book either. I, I, I thought it was not... You think it was too tidy? You think it was a little too, little too tidy? Not even... I just... I, I don't know. I'm not really convinced of her reasoning. Why render him soulless? You know, I, I, I don't yeah. know. It's not my... You know, bit of Joe reasoning ever. You know, I keep thinking about what you're saying about her being. I don't know if she's just not power hungry as opposed to just being a death eater. I just think that I think she. I found her to be a very ambitious woman, and her racism and her greed for power and her need for control made her. I think she just kind of lost perspective because I don't know. I mean, I just think because ultimately that maybe she did want what was best, like what she was doing, but in her mind, her warped mind. But I don't know. I just. She believed, she truly believed that she was yeah. doing the, the right work. I mean, she wants power of her own, but she's also completely devoted to Fudge and to serving the ministry. Well, she's and certainly she really keen on name-dropping Fudge and the yeah. ministry all the time, <laughs> which is a trait that people who just love power and their own power do all the time. But then, so her in class, she's got that little, her wand, and there's no need, you know. And That cutesy then, cartoon picture on the, the book cover. I love, just I love that. Awesome. Yeah, but brilliant. The book cover was one of my favorite things. The I didn't movie. notice that the first mm-hmm. time. I'm, I saw the second time, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Look, they're, they're reading books into infinity, because it's like a book showing them reading a book, and the end right. yeah. book, <laughs> reading a book. It's so back. clever. It was. It was a very nice touch. Really nice. <laughs> But then, but then we get into the scene where she goes, it's a lie. You know, I just I wanted to see that so bad. I was just anticipating that moment when Harry was going to stand up, you know, show a little, you know. Yeah, for real. I love when he, when Harry first says it, he goes, oh, I don't know, Lord Voldemort. And you hear the, you hear the pencil drop. You hear the quill drop on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Dead silence. Amazing. Oh, so when she says... It is not a lie, and then Harry comes to life, and he springs, and he shows himself, and and it's just that's the moment I have been waiting for to see the Harry that that the fire in him, and and we knowing full well what's coming next, and I was just so looking forward to that, and I was like, oh, here it is, you know, and that was the moment I kind of like I remember leaning forward, and I was like, go oh, Harry, go, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know why for some reason when you said spring to life, I pictured oh. Harry as like a, a, a somebody's Patronus, like. Oh, yeah. Flying out of a wand and jumping around like a bunny. Yeah. You know? I, I really wasn't sure. We had seen photos before, you know, still shots of what the, the detention scene was going to be. But I just had no idea what it was going to be like and, you know, how they would film it. Because, I mm-hmm. mean, here she is. She's torturing a child, a student. Yeah. 
and it's the grossest abuse of her powers, and it's just so. Mm-hmm. So I did not know how intense the scene was going to be. And it was just, you know, I said I said earlier that this is my favorite scene in the movies to date, and just because I think not just because it works on its own level, because but this is also I think the best work that. Radcliffe has done in the movies to date mm-hmm. and most and I'm calling particular attention to that that shot right after the words become etched in his skin and he looks up at her that mute expression of just yeah. confusion and just the slow I mean he doesn't overplay it at all it's just that slow realization that this woman is a sadist and she's yeah. you know she she's torturing him and and also her and, and also her her look when she when he's writing, how she can barely contain her her pleasure yeah. while he's writing, it's just even, even his look. It's not a, it's, it's it's he's realizing that she's a sadist, but you also see the full comprehension mm-hmm. of how deeply mm-hmm. this goes into the ministry of what this is really about. You oh, see it yeah. all dawn there in his eyes, and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's great. He's all, oh no, you didn't just do that to me. <laughs> you did no. <laughs> Snap. But he like guessed it. It's like adult Harry, hero Harry, start you know wise Harry is sort of starting. Mm-hmm. And Radcliffe, I mean, you know, special props to Radcliffe too. I mean, he went toe to toe with Staunton, and I mean, he just completely nailed that scene. Can I say too, just as kind of off topic, but kudos to the set designer because that set, <laughs> the Pepto Bismo yeah. pink cat set, was just brilliant. That was so funny. It makes it takes me back to when we. We're at Ed Leaveston and the the press tent. We've mentioned so many times, but they had all those stupid cat plates up there. It was so crazy, hilarious, and there was many many Muchka jokes in there. But yeah. uh, oh, yeah. one other thing we saw in there was um, a still of the actual cutting into Harry's hand there, mm-hmm. and the still we saw said something like, uh, "I no, will not no, break no, rules." I figured it and out. It was the kids. It was the kids. It wasn't Harry. We were all like, oh, no, why are they changing that? That doesn't make any sense. It yeah. should be I don't tell lies. But then the kids have to do the same detention later, and then they will not break rules. That was funny. It was not... Uh, you think we would have noticed that it was a girl's hand or something and not Harry's hand, but... <laughs> yeah, it was a little kid's hand. Yeah. Oh, Harry. Dan, you know, he's... Oh, I don't know. Anyway... Anything else we haven't touched on on this short little snippet of Phoenix Files? I think that is it this time. Mm-hmm. What's what's up next on Phoenix Files? What is up next on Phoenix Files is an excellent question. Um, after <laughs> this scene, um, Harry goes back to his good old friends, Ron and Hermione, and um, they question him about this stuff on his hand. No, they don't. No, they don't. <laughs> no, they go back to the common room and there's a little flirting with Ron and Hermione. And yeah, then, they have a moment. Uh, Harry freaks out and leaves, and then he goes and he hangs out with Luna for a bit, and then he comes That's to right. the That's right. It all runs together when you're not watching it every it's day. It's after Trelawney, that, that, that DA. Well, with that, we thank Mr. Andrew for his contributions mm-hmm. this week. Oh, thank you very much. I've been looking forward to this all week long. This is a thrill. Very cool. Uh, and if we- you... Oh, what? what Nothing. What? what? Uh, uh, uh. If any of you think that uh, it sounded like fun to do what Andrew was doing and Frack and Julian weeks prior, you can do it too, as long as you email staff at pottercast.com with what you would have said about this week's topics and a attachment of your voice so we know that your mic doesn't suck. And that's pretty much all it takes, and we'll put you on the waiting list. Okay. 
Cool. Well, thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Oh, thank you. Thank you, guys. And now it's time for Canon Conundrums featuring Steve Vanderark from the Harry Potter Lexicon. Listen in as our panel tries to figure out one specific issue from the Harry Potter canon. Who could possibly figure that out? It's time for Canon Conundrums. Yes. So have we completely given up on the idea of canon conclusions? Well, we're, we're just still so confused. <laughs> I know. <laughs> We're not even pretending anymore. <laughs> I will continue to live in conundrum land while I'm sure some folks out there are in conclusion land, having read the book more times than me. Of course, just about everybody's yeah. read it more than you, Jen. So. Hey, hey, at least sorry. I finished the thing. <laughs> and everybody expected you to continue to live in conundrum land. Topic, what's our topic? We don't sort of have one, but we kind of do. Where were the other countries? Where was everybody else? Yeah. Yeah. In book seven. They were like, fire the wow. missiles. Where was yeah. Madame Maxime? Never mentioned Exactly again. right. I know. It's like they have this little romance and it's cute and everything. And, you know, they go find the giants. And then it's like, whatever. She's off with somebody else probably. It just baffled me because all throughout the series, you know, we had the international magic cooperation, says Hermione, you know? Yeah, it was a big deal. And we had that huge gathering of wizards. We saw this huge body of wizards from all around the world. We had the Wizarding Cup. We have all these things. And then we had the Wizarding Gamut. And yet... We heard nothing. The silence was deafening from them. Where were they? I don't understand. That's really weird because they just, I mean, like you said, they go out of their way here to Goblet of Fire Mm -hmm. to stress how important it is for, you know, the different countries and the different schools to cooperate with each other. Right. Dumbledore really leads that thought. Definitely. I mean, at, at Cedric's funeral... Is it just Hogwarts students, or were all the students there? Everybody was there. Yeah, so that was huge. That's his funeral. His um, that when he gave his famous "Remember Cedric Diggory" speech. Yeah, and that was the big, um, you know, everybody needs to come together, and because there's an evil coming. Mm-hmm. So it's like Durmstrang and Bobatones. They hear all of this, you know, and they're all just like, "Yeah, screw you guys, Britain." But you know. Maybe part of it is is the fact that Dumbledore was kind of the one trying to make that happen, and he's not there anymore in in the last book. Yeah, but does nobody communicate to each other from those schools? Did nobody make pen pals? The other question is, how effective can any of that communication be when the ministry, the way through which is official, is taken over? I mean, what can you do when there's been a change of power, and from the outside, it just looks like a new president has been appointed? Do you know a new minister, a new anything? Uh You know? Yeah. For our... Being American, it would be like there was a new president. We might not know that there was some dictator trying to pull the strings, but to anybody else, you can't deny their official ways of operation or it's like Mm -hmm. an act of war. Voldemort is not visible. Although sometimes I wonder when when you have all these methods in this wizarding world for being, you know, polyjuice potion and imperious curses, why aren't people more suspicious? Yeah. Yeah. You know? It's like they just buy it. They're just like, yeah. well, whatever. People are acting really dumb, but, you know, that's okay. It's probably just they're having an off day or something. You know, my immediate reaction is, I'll bet you somebody's taking Polyjuice Potion. You know? My suspicion is always with the people under Imperius looking oddly slack. Doesn't anybody <laughs> notice that, like, oddly slack in the face? <laughs> You know, you're probably under Either the Imperius or hung I'm thinking Night of the Living Dead. You know? <laughs> yeah. Half the people yeah. are walking around the ministry. <laughs> Nobody notices. Yeah, for real. 
yeah oh it's fine oh oh he just had a rough night like what come on guys wake up but it is it is true i mean when you think about the change in the ministry because it should be fairly obvious to anybody who's paying any attention but then you have that other half of the fact that people who do even if you do catch on you don't dare do anything because you're gonna you know you don't know who to trust you know it becomes easier just to kind of go along with it look at arthur weasley who's working in the ministry and instead of being one of the people who shies away from the lifts when Harry, as Runcorn, is making a lot of noise, Arthur Weasley is willing to take people to task. I mean, he's risking a lot when he turns around and, and, and takes on Runcorn. Arthur Weasley's a pretty brave guy when you think about it. Arthur's the man. Arthur's like like the Neville of his age. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you think about what that would be. This is the Runcorn that's scaring everybody to death. You know, all these people that shy away, run away, are afraid of him. Arthur Weasley just, you know, nails them in the elevator. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, but it's also really quiet. It's also it's also in mm-hmm. an elevator. You're not talking about a, a stadium no. full of people. Yeah. Very private little moment. He'll always say what he thinks is right, and he will always do it, but he, it doesn't mean that he's taking mm-hmm. on the ministry. He's just one-on-one with a guy. Mm-hmm. A big, scary guy. But you wonder what, you know, if it yeah. wasn't Harry, I wonder what Runcorn or anyone else of these thugs... I mean, the fact that Arthur is still there and still functioning means that in his quiet, unassuming kind of way, he must hold a lot of respect, a lot of authority. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he's he's sort of a minor person in the in the ministry, but everybody knows him. Yeah. I think he's a pretty tough guy. But in a totally Voldemortized ministry, if he was that much of a threat, he would have been dispensed with immediately. Look mm-hmm. what they do to Neville. As soon as he was, they had nothing else to hold over him. They were gonna, they were gonna either kill him or send him to Azkaban. Which tells you that Arthur's very good at doing yeah. this behind the scenes kind of thing. Well, but then here's the question: Look how hard it must be to get the correct message out to the wider world of the mm-hmm. wizarding culture if somebody working in the ministry like Arthur can't mm-hmm. manage to do it. Yes, but we saw though the example of what we call the, the resistance. We had. The wizard, you know. Potterwatch. Yes, Potterwatch. And we've had the Quibbler until they, they shut down Zeno. There are ways, yeah. and we saw actually the presence of Fleur and Crumb at some point, and yet we did not get any representation from these other magical. I mean, where was, like you said, where was Madame Maxine? Where'd she go? Well, but then again, how can somebody from Bobaton, for example, how can they get the word? They're not going to know how to listen to Potterwatch. All they're going to see is the Daily Prophet, if that. You don't see all that much communication between these places. Well, don't, aren't there owls? Did Voldemort have complete control over all the information? Did he control all the owls? I just mean that they don't like reading each other's newspapers all the time or anything like that. Well, true, know? true. Well, no, no, no. It's, it's not just about getting the message out. You can go and shout it from the rooftops. It's about convincing other powers to do something. I hate to bring it into such a, a real-world context, but look at Darfur. Mm-hmm. Look at what we know mm-hmm. is happening in mm-hmm. Darfur. And look how impossible yeah. it is to get countries and governments around the world to step mm-hmm. in and say this is wrong. That's right. Yeah. Darfur is a, is a little bit more of a clear-cut example. The whole question we have right now talking about Iran, too, and, you know, again, not to bring in too much real-world stuff, but to debate mm-hmm. about, okay, what's really going on? And I, I don't know that... I feel like I know exactly what's going on, and I read a lot and listen to a lot. So you think about in a culture like the wizarding world where they don't even have as good of communication, they're, they're going to say, boy, you know, it seems like things really are going don't. a little wacko there in Britain. But, you know, that's Britain, and 
we're not there and yeah. we don't tend to see each other except for every couple of years at a Triwizard or maybe going to the World Cup. You know, yeah. the culture's pretty separated. You know, if it was a movie, then the American wizarding forces would have stormed it at the end. I'm <laughs> sure they would have. Yeah. <laughs> Complacing him with Rambo leading the way. Wizard Rambo okay. leading the way. Yeah, it would be dollish <laughs> for him to join up with them and there you yeah. go. Uh, you know, so maybe it's Britain in the wizarding world is the the largest power and you think well who you'd have to take on britain basically i was just struck me as funny at the end of the uh the big battle and how serious a threat voldemort was and how powerful people like dumbledore were this big battle came down to just in all reality a very small group of people mm-hmm that was going to solve this for the whole country. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense in a way with the amount of products and so that they turn out, but it really is a small culture. It's not a lot of people. But, I mean, like, the, well, the people I wondered about was the Wizengamot. Yeah. Who are all of these people? I mean, they're not, it can't all be politicians. Some of them have to be decent wizards. Okay, but there's this awesome quote, and I think it's Margaret Mead who said that you can't ever doubt that a small group of dedicated people can change the world because they're the only ones who ever have. So right. it always comes down to a small group of people. A war comes it's down true. to a general coming up with the maneuver that, that turns things mm-hmm. around. So I, yeah. I buy it. Oh, I do too. You know. And the, but then here's another thought. It, it, what, what do you think Voldemort's next move would have been? If he would have finished off Harry and secured power in Britain, what would be next? Well, she said once that European domination first was his plan. Uh-huh. So I think he would have mm-hmm. started expanding. But once he set up like a power base, like, you know, starts to rebuild the whatever pure blood world in Britain, then he would start moving east and west. I mean, what was what was his goal? What was he fighting for? Just to have nothing but pure bloods running around? What does he need the whole world for? Why can't he just have like sell it for like a small community or like a country club or something he's a megalomaniac the minute you're gonna take over another country you don't have your same purebloods anymore right kind of missing your point then that's all screwed up dumb voldemort yeah i think i think he would have taken over britain and that would have probably been enough for him i don't know i mean i just thought that we saw this the evidence i i think joe did it obviously deliberately to just make the point that you're talking about now that passivity exists out there even in the magical world and that it is hard to stand up and do what you think is the right thing even though it's against something that's probably fear fear is obviously a great you know persuader on both sides and you know, so maybe that's why she, but I just, I just found it really shocking after through the series, we'd seen this larger, she had been trying, I thought was making a move to expand the world and the scope of Harry's knowledge and, mm-hmm. you know, bringing in these things. And then it just didn't, it just didn't materialize in the way I thought it might. You know, thinking about it all, it is kind of nice how she wrote something that was grand, but not so large as that it was so outlandish, unbelievable. Mm. Right. And we are talking about a magical world here, but I mean, I've seen like, you know, fanfic writers, for instance, that before book seven, they turned Harry's story into this huge good and evil thing where like, you know, God himself grants Harry all these extra powers and stuff and Voldemort kills the devil and takes over the all of hell and everything. It's like, oh, really? Yeah. You I mean, it's crazy, but you got people who are thinking and so huge like that. And then when you distill it down to just a good guy and an evil guy like that, and it's all or nothing, the whole world against each other, that's kind of crazy. That's too much. So I like the scale that Joe Mm -hmm. kept it on. because, And it makes sense, too, because what it came down to was really the final conflict was just the embodiment of Voldemort trying to get Harry. Mm -hmm. Right. And, I mean, there was perfectly logical reasons why it all coalesced into that spot. 
He yeah. was chasing his Horcruxes and, and looking at each one of his destroyed Horcruxes. And the last one to go to was Hogwarts. So it made sense that he was there. He didn't go there because I'm going to have a huge final battle and I think I'll attack somebody in the Great Hall at Hogwarts. You know, I mean, it, yeah, it made perfect sense that that's where it ended up. He still didn't think that Harry was going to be this big threat to him. He, he was coming after Harry with all... You know, you've been lucky every time. You're just dependent on other people. You're just a pain in my ass. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. he's going to knock him out right there like that. This, he wasn't expecting the big battle for Well, for good everything. grief. You'd think by the third time he shot an Avada Kedavra at the kid, he would have realized that maybe this isn't working the <laughs> way it's supposed to. <laughs> like, you've done two. Yeah. The guy's still alive. Think of something else. Maybe a sword would be good, you know? He's never I d- been the ace in the... Uh, no, no, he's not. In the pack. Yeah. Just, it's just amazing. Because, you know, Voldemort is not the, not the sharpest crayon in the box. No, he's not. You know? No. He just is so obsessed that he can't see that, you know, he may need to change his strategy slightly here. I mean, how about being a fly on the wall when he's finding all of his destroyed horcruxes? That was some oh, of the funniest yeah. stuff, I think, is oh. when we were hearing about all this happening. Oh. It, was, it was fun. I, I was getting it's excited, because like, you know he's coming. Yeah. You know once yeah. he finds that last one, he's all hell's broken loose. That was a brilliant bit of writing, too, because it let us kind of see him taking one step at a time toward that final confrontation. But I also liked back in the, in the you know, hanging with Voldemort in, in uh, Malfoy Manor way back at the beginning, when he actually said... He has escaped because I've made mistakes. Yeah. And I think, okay, Voldemort's catching on. And then what does he do? The same dumb things. Yeah. He thinks he's killed someone, so he yeah. walks away. It's like, you know, if you just stick around and make sure the guy's dead. That's what every evil guy does when they're lowering mm-hmm. the heroes down onto a pit of sharks with laser beams on their heads. Right. They don't think they're going to swing away on dental floss. Thank you, Austin Powers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think one of the reasons that Voldemort does that, though, is because he is so afraid of death. Oh, sure he is. That he doesn't want to be there when it happens. But I had to think of some reason why he didn't just double-check that Harry was dead himself. Why send, of all people, yeah. Narcissa? Well, because he's so arrogant that he doesn't think anybody yeah. would possibly ever lie to him. And he cannot sure. fathom that she would lie for the love yeah. of her son. So I sort of get it. You know, sort of. Mm-hmm. I always wonder, like, what would have happened if he would have set Harry on fire? Drowned him. Right. That'd have been sick. Well, but the, but notice that the spells were not affecting Harry. The Cruciatus curse didn't. No, no, no. Affect him. only after he killed them, the spells were not affecting Harry. Oh, you mean instead of an Nevada Cadaver, if he would have like just run him yeah. through the sword? Sectisempered him to death. Mm-hmm. Like Siler. Would the same things have happened? Mm-hmm. I guess so they would have, but Harry would have had a worse body death. <laughs> what is this? Let's think of ways we can kill Harry besides an AK. Hmm. Falling down the <laughs> stairs. If he was burned and he st- and he would he would have still lived because of that whole connection, whatever. But he really would have had trouble moving around. Yeah. <laughs> oh heck yeah. <laughs> He's not clear hey, the chair, Didn't right? Neville get set on fire? Whatever happened with that? Neville's like fine. I thought he got set but on that fire. That was after that was after his spells no longer work on these people yeah. because Harry died for them. Yeah, he's still on fire. Yeah, but after that spell, everything changes. Just Harry specifically says that he's dying for everybody who's tried to help, so therefore, everything Voldemort tries to do against these people Mm -hmm. is not working. Makes you wonder how long that would last. Like, if they all just, like, sat around, like, in a circle, playing Duck, Duck, Goose, and Voldemort's, like, whacking them with spells (laughs) and getting all frustrated. (laughs) No, like, and Voldemort's doing everything he can (laughs) to attack these people, and they're just fine. They're just chilling, playing their (laughs) game. Yeah, God, that would drive him crazy. They should have... 
strung it out longer. That'd been hilarious. And he's kind of left eventually, just sort of standing there by the door, hitting things just out of pure frustration. Nobody's paying any attention. Uh, speaking of, of ducks and geese, <laughs> where where was Fudge? What happened to him? What? What does that have to do with ducks and geese? <laughs> oh, Nobody, I get it. I just think a lame duck. Oh, 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 okay. Wow. Wow. <laughs> what happened to him, Fudge? Seriously, though, I mean, I, I forgot. Stanton is an advisor to Scrimgeour. So maybe he got killed when Scrimgeour got killed. What was the Muggle Prime Minister <laughs> and his government up to? Well, they had Kingsley, so... Probably running away in fear. That's what I would do. No. It's a good point, though, because, you know, in the beginning of Half-Blood Prince, we had this idea that, that it was spilling over into the Muggle world. We never really, no. ca- never really caught that. Well, again, of course, you have to understand, I think, Book 7 as being intentionally written with a very, very... I mean, Harry has such a limited point of view because of the situation that a lot yeah. of stuff she didn't have to try to include. Because, mm-hmm. and, and I think it's to some extent just to protect herself. My goodness, she could simply could not tell the whole tale. She couldn't yeah. tell all the things happening at Hogwarts. And so by putting Harry in that, that situation where he was completely cut off most of the time, it really saved her having to try to put all this stuff in there. But I would like to know. I would too, and it just—it that's just this one thing about this. It just I, again, I keep going back. It's just that we had learned about this before, and I just kind of wanted to know. I mean, I just found it that no one issued a, a beacon for mm-hmm. help. You know why? Why they mm-hmm. didn't? You know, call for help. Okay, think about what would they do? Well, where were the giants? They're on holiday somewhere. So the people from Bobaton, for example, would they have gotten a bunch of people together and just sort of, sort of like attacked, or we could have issued those. Those butterflies for floors. Oh, okay, that's movie camp. But but okay, so 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 fifty Sorry. people show up. What would they have done? There was no like battle lines drawn to join into. I mean, anybody in that castle would have helped. You know, they did put out the call for help. They did. The order showed up. Well, that's what I wasn't saying. Though it was just international call for help. The bat signal in the sky, Sue. That's what, is that what you wanted? I'm sorry. Yes, the bat signal in the sky. Hey, man, oh. if we had, you know, we had the Starship Enterprise from the cover. Yeah. We thought it was. I thought it was right. over there. Hogwarts. Right. Big lightning bolt. That'd been cool. All right. Well, I think that pretty much all we have time it for is. here. Have we, have we concluded anything, or are we still con- just just as conundrumed as possible? I like the conclusion you just stumbled on. That just because we didn't read about it from Harry's point of view, it doesn't mean people that get Bobatones and Durmstrang weren't aware of what was right. going on and weren't struggling with what to do mm-hmm. themselves. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's just we had the scale of the story that we had through Harry's eyes and that Jill wanted, and and she really had to considering the the space she had. And then think about too, this whole really only took place over what about nine months. You know, there barely was time yeah. for people really to register and to... I mean, yeah, you had a Britain covered with snatchers and, and Death Eaters, and but, you know, for people on the outside to really even start to put together what was going on... Well, I don't think it was a mechanism of her not of her needing room in the book. I think she just... This has always been Harry's story, mm-hmm. and we needed to go along with Harry wherever sure. he was going. And so if that was out in the world with a million things happening, the book would have reflected that, you know? Pretty good stuff, Excellent. guys. <laughs> We're still conundrumming along. As we pat ourselves on the back for another excellent cutting conundrums. <laughs> <laughs> I like that word. Uh, yes, conundrums. That's exactly right. That's what it was. It was conundrums. We shall see everybody back next week for you another canon conundrums. See you guys. It's it's I have the catch love song in my head. Oldie baby, Lucius baby. <laughs> I like the Parsa Mouse song, yeah. but I like my Lucius Baby one. I did too. So I was kind of. What happened to Lucius? 
Well, I did one at uh, Lucius Baby, but the Parcel Mouth's one on the oh, yeah. disc is pretty good, too. But, you know, just baby. saying. I well, could do a, a more duet with them or a trio show. or something with them. Yeah. <laughs> I like the Parcel Mouths. I like the Moaning Ronalds. I like the yes. vocal girls. But I got to tell you, the ones who came up out of nowhere that. and surprised the heck out of me were the Mudbloods. Oh, that's really cool. They're wait, really good. Wait until you hear the Mudbloods song. It's like this like Woody Guthrie meets maybe the Hold Steady, or it's just this awesome little tale about the reindeer all dying and the Thestrals oh. taking over for Christmas. No, it's not sad at all. The Thestrals yeah. save the day. And How is it amazing. not sad that the reindeer died? Well, it's sort of it's sort of in the way it's presented. It's just like, oh, the reindeer died. Oh, okay, move on with the story. Wait, wait that'll stop me in my tracks. No, it doesn't do what anything. What happened? Did they song. eat some poison? I, th- I think that they were Death Eaters. Was it the Grinch? It was the Death Eaters in the North Pole. They got run over by. That's pretty low, Death Eaters. (laughs) But whatever, it's a really cute. And I just, it's just such a catchy little jingle. It's just completely stuck in my head. I love the CD. Speaking of holidays, guys, what should we do for our Pottercast Halloween episode? Ooh, Um, spooky. spooky. I don't know. I really don't know either. (laughs) We haven't done that much in the past. This will be our third Halloween. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I'm, I'm done after true. this Halloween. John. I have a thing. Sure I can not. only do so many Halloween podcasts. Well, what happened in the third year Halloween? What happened in the Prisoner of Azkaban Halloween? Uh, uh, that's a good question. I, I don't know, and I should know that. because I don't remember. Oh, it's isn't it when um, Sirius Black breaks into... Um, Is that when he comes in? Oh, into, Is it Halloween? Yeah. Right? Maybe so. I'd be cool. And because I just I just associate troll troll in the Pottercast. No. So you want to have not. a troll step through the Pottercast? <laughs> <laughs> that might get annoying. My little boy loves that scene though. It's just so you know. I mean, because the way that whole scene is all decorated with all those treats and stuff. What about like a trick or treat something? How can we do trick or treat? What if we had some of the crafty girls around here and, and, and helped us make some Halloween crafts? That'd be interesting. Or if you don't like Stuff that idea. We can do crafting at home. We can do crafting with Pottercast. Yeah. That'd be kind of cool. How to decorate for the holidays. That could be cool. Do you, you guys carve pumpkins? Do you guys do that? I try. I usually just end up with pumpkin mash. Do you know what I did one year with my friend Kathleen? You, you just, it's complete. Yeah. Let's just show the ridiculous fandom fan kind of things we do. We made yeah. pumpkin juice. Did you really? Pumpkins? Did real pumpkins? Do you know what it takes? Do you know the effort it takes to make? You need a machine. You have to take a cheesecloth. <laughs> Perhaps and a juicer. The pumpkin stuff through the cheesecloth. No, you can't use a juicer because it's. I don't know. Maybe you can. We didn't have one. She was in college, <laughs> and so we basically actually squeezed the juice out of a pumpkin. It was disgusting. Why would you drink was, that? That's disgusting. We didn't. We added apple juice to it at the end because we didn't make so enough. You it, it was in, gross. And apples. <laughs> it was pumpkin flavored things are delicious if you do it right. This apple orchard near my house makes apple donuts and pumpkin donuts, yes. and they're to die for. Suno is being up in there up north near the orchards. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, hot apple cider. You can you can make a pumpkin version of that. Probably would taste like pumpkin juice. Now I need to make something fallish. I just made a big thing of butternut squash soup. Oh, yum! That's one of my favorite soups. Too. Hey guys, what about a call-out show for Halloween? Oh, that'd be fun. And we fun. can trick or treat people. Oh, that'd be fun. Or we could. You know, we could do it like your favorite, like Harry Potter Halloween well, stories. Well, it or could something. be like trick or treat. Like we can say, like um, if they get a treat, then 
I don't know. What could be a treat? We don't we have hear. any treats to be giving, but they won't know that. No. We'll tell them that one is coming anyway. No, and what's, what about a trick? What would be a trick that we Um, We'll scream in their ears. That Dalish actually wins in the fight with with Mama Noe, her grandma, grandma, not grandma, Mama Noe, with uh, Grandma Neville. <laughs> Did she make an appearance I wasn't aware of? Yes! <laughs> with Grandma Neville. We should have royalties Neville. coming our way if that's the case. Yeah, that's true. Oh, I want to see a picture of you. What did you dress up when you were a little kid? I would love my to first, see a One of my first ones, I was a crayon. <laughs> a Crayola crayon. <laughs> <laughs> my family was just going through albums, actually. I, I'll ask them if they could find any of the uh, Christmas or Halloween that's costumes. Awesome. Wow. That's wake. My little, uh, little nephew, Charlie, is going to be a cow because he's able, to, <laughs> he's able to make his animal sounds now, and the one who does the best Aww. is the cow. So we got him a cow costume. It's hilarious. Charlie was the best when we met him in Ohio. Oh, he's a doll. Doll baby. <sighs> well, yeah. kiddos and gangs and friends. Yeah. It's that time again, I suppose. Oh, Halloween. Ooh, it's coming. It's hard to be thinking of Halloween because now I've got all this Christmas music. I you know. know. I, <laughs> I counted up today how many times I listened to the songs. 382. Is that That's right? Ridiculous. Already? Wow. It's ridiculous. I just keep it on repeat. I love it. So, <laughs> when are we going to be selling the uh, the Wizard Rock Thanksgiving uh, compilation album? You make all those songs and send them to me, and we will send them off to be pressed. Sweet. How, about that, John? How many be... Pilgrim songs are there, John? <laughs> I really would like to know. <laughs> we little pilgrims are we. We go to Hogwarts, don't you see? Hey, look at me. Hey, look at you. I'm John Noe. Get out of my bathroom, you're really creepy. You're a pilgrim <laughs> and you need some turkeys. Boy, you don't belong here. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. guys. And then I die. Until then, you better keep Wrong twiddling those guys. dials. The next Ooh. password will be Jingle Bells. <laughs> jingle Bells? Keep each other safe. Keep faith. Good, Good night. night. We've missed it. W3. I confess myself disappointed. Now. If you don't mind, I'm going to bed. Great, Scott. No wonder. Look at the time. We've been here nearly four hours. Spooky how the time flies when one's having fun. (laughs) Hi, Pottercast listeners. This is Lauren from the Moaning Myrtles, here to let you know about Jingle Spells. It's a Wizard Rock Christmas album brought to you by the Leaky Cauldron to benefit literacy around the world. It features 14 songs from a bunch of Wizard Rock bands, including us, the Moaning Myrtles. Here's a quick tease of our new song on the compilation, and it's called Rocking Around the Bathroom Stall. Rocking around the bathroom stall, cause there's nothing else to do. I didn't get asked to the U ball, so I'm feeling pretty blue. Rocking around the bathroom stall, no one wants to be my date. This record is now available for pre-order, but it will only be on sale through December 10th, and only a limited supply is available. So get your copy now by following the link at the top of Pottercast.com. This week's Pottercast was produced by the Pottercast Trio and Steve Bonnet. The show was edited by Steed, Hildy, Samantha, and Liz. Thanks to Steve Vanderark for joining us for Canon Conclusions. Thanks to our Scooby 5 team, Aaron and Nina, and thanks, as always, to our awesome transcription elves for transcribing this and all our other episodes on Pottercast.com. For more information about the show and how to contact us and be a part of future episodes, visit Pottercast.com. 
<laughs> I'm so excited about detention. Oh mm-hmm. no, my phone's I'm, ringing. Uh, don't you know to turn off the phone? It's a tiki Uh-oh. room. Call it into a theater. Steed is gonna get you. We're <laughs> gonna be in big trouble. <laughs> oh, sorry. I love that song. In the tiki 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 room. In the tiki 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 room. In the tiki 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 room. All the birds sing, word and the flowers croon. In the tiki 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 room.